0: Welcome back to the Quacked Out
1: Podcast.
0: I am Charlie, joined by Reed. Reed, how was your holiday season? How was your Christmas?
1: Uh, it was good. Yeah, um, it was a little crazy flying back in here uh, late. I got in on the twenty second after a late semester, but but rushed into Christmas. Kind of got in the spirit quickly, and then had a good had a good day yesterday. So yeah, what about you?
0: Nice, man. Yeah, I got to see both sides of the family. It was pretty nice. Uh, Hoping for some snow later in the day as we're recording this on Sunday, the 26th. Let's get into this Alamo Alamo Bowl preview, man. Um, A very interesting matchup, not for reasons that we usually talk about when it comes to a non-New Year's Six Bowl game. You know, Usually it's just kind of a measuring stick game. You want to see how you stack up against like another elite program like Oklahoma. We'll talk about why that may or may not be the case throughout this. But um, I want to start off with a little series history between these two teams uh, before we kind of zoom into this year. So Oregon and Oklahoma have played seven times, right? Oklahoma's won six out of those seven matchups, and they also won those first six matchups Uh in four of those first six matchups, Oklahoma was either number one or number two at the time. Uh, and to be quite honest, I'm looking at these scores right now and Oregon got waxed those first, like five games of this rivalry. It's not a rivalry, but you know what I'm talking about of this matchup, uh, that included games in like the seventies when the duck, we talked about this with, um, Ryan winter on the history pod, but like the ducks would kind of shell themselves out, uh, to go play against these like elite elite teams and just get waxed, right? Uh, so there's some there's some really ugly ones in there, and then these two teams actually played each other three years in a row, 2004, five and six, uh, in the you know it, that's at least when we were alive, right? Oregon <laughs> lost to number two Oklahoma, 31 to seven in that 2004 game. The Ducks had a 10 win season, uh, dampened, I guess. A little bit by a holiday bowl loss to unranked Oklahoma in 2005 Oklahoma was eight and time, th- or finished eight and four Oregon finished like ten and three I guess or ten and two um, lost that one by three points 17 of 14 uh, I believe that was a Ryan Leaf game if I remember correctly or maybe Brady whichever one but must have been Brady uh, and then the most recent one which is the one I kind of want to talk about a little more is the only other ranked matchup between these teams uh, and Oregon won this one 34-33. Now, this game was at Autzen Stadium. I believe Oklahoma still had Adrian Peterson at the time. And it was a very, very significant win. Do you want to jump in and talk about why?
1: Um, well, I mean, just the game itself was was a completely wild one. I mean, you talk about, you know, Oregon has this these two games that they lose against Oklahoma in the years before it that kind of put put a damper on things um and then this is kind of an infamous uh big time upset pulled off by Oregon and Autzen Stadium um and the focus of it or, or what people probably remember most is the Ducks being down um down by 13 points getting the ball with what let me pull this up under three, three minutes. minutes left yeah <laughs> Yeah, three minutes left. Drive down, score with a minute left uh, on a on a Dennis Dixon rush, um, and then uh, a really um, well officiated <laughs> onside kick results in Oregon <laughs> retaining possession. Uh, go down and score in um, in three plays, uh, and and then. Uh, and then Oklahoma gets the ball back, and they actually get into field goal position pretty quickly, but uh, but get get stuffed on a or get um, blocked on a on a field goal attempt from forty four yards.
0: Yeah, man. And I mean the another kind of zoomed out way to look at this is I sort of remember this game as like okay, Oregon can actually play on the national stage. I mean I know Joey and all this. 2001 season had happened before this You know we'd had big wins before against good opponents, but just not an Oklahoma, you know, like sure We had beaten Wisconsin like we'd beaten Colorado in that fiesta Bowl But to get a win against a team like Oklahoma was something else um, Especially again after they kind of ruined our season. I think the game before the last game in 2005 so that was pretty interesting and it. I I can't confirm like whether this is true or not. Maybe I just dream- dreamt this up but I feel like I remember reading something about like F- Uncle Phil really appreciated that, you know, he really like it was sort of a um, Spurgeon for more investment among like organ boosters mm. and the mm. organ kind of b- brass so some historical significance to this matchup in the past definitely um, yeah, I but think, let's get into this
1: season. Oh, go ahead Well well one more thing is I think this is um, it's kind of one of those games that people have people brought up uh, after the Ohio State win for Oregon, where it was kind of a season where you get that huge win and you're riding high early on and I think Oregon I'm pulling up the Wikipedia and it looks like Oregon gets up to 11th. In the AP rankings, and then the wheels kind of fall off after that, um, and you finish the season unranked. But it was a springboard, ultimately, I guess, into some really a really impressive season in 2007, and kind of a foreshadowing things to come. Um, but yeah, that was a it, it was certainly and is certainly a, one of those kind of standout games in, in Oregon history from the early to mid 2000s.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. I actually remember watching that game with my mom. Again, I was six years old at the time. Um, and my mom, of all people, who you know loves loves Oregon football, she'll watch it. But she said "It this stuck with me. She was like, okay, we need to score and then get an onside kick and get a score. And I've never heard her say anything like that ever since. <laughs> um, so shout out to moms for that one. But Wait. let's zoom into this season and this matchup. Um, Oklahoma... Decent team. They've had an up-and-down year, to say the least. In a lot of ways, this just going through Oklahoma's schedule, it's been very similar to Oregon's rocky year. Um, obviously, they, they didn't have a win in the horseshoe this season. They, I believe, actually, they were the last team to win in the horseshoe before us, so that's kind of fun as well. Mm. Um, but when you think of Oklahoma this year, before you kind of started digging into research on this, like, what were your thoughts about this team?
1: Um, well, I think, you know, people who have listened to us this year. know we, we've actually talked a pretty decent bit about Oklahoma this season. Um, they kind of started this thing out and, um, and of course they started with the game against my two lane, uh, <laughs> green wave and, and two lane gave them a real scare there. So I remember that. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, they started out as a lot of people's, uh, dark horse to win the national title i think uh there's certainly mm-hmm. a perception that bama was a bit down uh which did and didn't come true depending on <laughs> what part of the year you were turned into um and there are some qu- people that maybe expect georgia to be as dominant as they proved to be for most of the year um but a lot of guy- people were really really high on oklahoma Um, and they came into this year and they struggled right out the gate. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you go and look at their schedule. It takes until, uh, mid-October for them to beat an FBS opponent by more than one score. Yeah. They they play Tulane close. They play Nebraska close. They play West Virginia. I mean, 16 to 13 game against West Virginia at home that,
0: your your first conference game of the year yeah
1: that is really strange uh score to get i I mean sometimes you think oh maybe the oklahoma plays west virginia close but they're never playing them close and only putting up 16 points um so yeah that's how it goes um and then and then at the last game that they don't win by two scores is is the game against um texas uh, where yeah. they basically look like looks like Oklahoma is completely dead. Um, they put in, uh, they, they make the quarterback switch, right? Um, mm-hmm. And put in Caleb Williams for Spencer Rattler and completely find new life, come come back. Um, and from there, it just kind of is like you look back at that whole stretch um, and, and what they do through the month of October mm-hmm. and it's like, how did these guys find a way to dodge all these bullets um mm-hmm. and then it catches up with them. They lose to Baylor and then uh beat Iowa State and then lose to Oklahoma state. so yeah, it's interesting um they're falling <laughs> they've fallen back a big ways. I mean it's kind of crazy like they're at sixteenth right now and and um they only have two losses on the season uh it's kind of a funny thing for sure. Um, but it's, cause they always were just kind of trying to find their identity. Uh, and it looked like maybe they were gonna turn a corner, and then they didn't. <laughs> and then their coach mm-hmm. left, and um, they lose the close one to Oklahoma State. Just a really odd season for them. It felt like I never quite got the feel of who they were.
0: Yeah, definitely. uh I'm glad you mentioned the quarterback change, cause that is a pivotal moment in their season yeah Um, again it's hard to it's hard to remember that this team was undefeated until november right Uh, the law two only two losses on the season are to baylor by two scores and then oklahoma state at at the end of the season so they're also a team that's lost two of their last three games just like the ducks Uh, obviously different circumstances in those losses than Oregon's, but in a way it's really funny that these two teams ended up in the same bowl game together because I mean, you think about Oklahoma and where they were at at the beginning of the season, their fan base was like, you know, playoff or bust, honestly playoff win or bust. Cause they've been to the playoff enough times without winning anything there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, their goal is like, okay, at least one playoff win that that's kind of their reasonable goal. If not a national title. Um, Meanwhile, Oregon is like, okay, we're probably gonna lose to Ohio State. We talked about this endlessly in the offseason. I mean, I don't, I don't really think I need to set Oregon's expectations for this listenership. Like it was sort of a Rose Bowl, maybe a playoff uh, appearance. Yeah. And yet now these teams are on similar wavelengths again after both being undefeated until November, really. Well, Oregon um, had the loss well, to Stanford. Well, Oregon is right. Yeah, 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 but, but firmly I mean, in the playoff
1: race. I mean, ahead of Oklahoma in the ranking, so.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, one big difference in these two teams though, and you mentioned the quarterback change, it felt eerily similar to what Oregon could have done with the Anthony Brown Ty Thompson situation. Lack of a situation. Um (laughs) oddly enough, Caleb Williams, you know, Oklahoma's freshman QB, actually was at the Elite Eleven competition with Ty Thompson. Right. Uh Williams was the MVP of that event actually. This was in twenty twenty right and, uh, and, and thompson
1: thompson certainly got that to stock nonetheless yeah yeah he got like the alpha dog award from 247 and kind of a funny thing the mvp award as some recruiting fans may remember it got kind of switched up where they decided to make the mvp award like 75 percent on film <laughs> and basically stuff that didn't happen at the camp because they yeah. just wanted to make sure that their MVP looked good and it was the quarterback that actually, you know, had the highest recruiting rankings um, in general. But most people believe that Ty Thompson had the best week at that camp. So that was, that was an interesting note for sure. Interesting uh, relationship between those two quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the. Maybe the most obvious connection that we somehow haven't touched on yet is that Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's coach the entire season, is now gone. And uh, we've mentioned this on the pod before. If you have not seen Lincoln Riley's post game press conference from the Bedlam game against Oklahoma State, he dropped what will become one of the most infamous lines in like college football lore: that he will be he will not be the next head coach at LSU. Like just shuts <laughs> the question down completely. <laughs> literally the next day decides with USC um, and they make that announcement official. So that's kind of hilarious. Obviously Oregon losing Mario Cristobal to Miami is the connection there. So Bob Stoops is sort of Oklahoma's like in, in soccer in the UK, they call it a caretaker manager. And I feel like that's the perfect um, comparison for what Bob Stoops is right now. I mean, he's the interim cause that's just the word we use, but it's not like this guy's going to come back and coach or anything they have their next head coach brent venables clemson's uh long time defensive coordinator and davos mm-hmm. Swinney's right hand man um and ironically oregon gets george's defensive co- coordinator and kind of kirby smarts right hand man in a lot of ways so
1: yeah and and landing was also a guy who was who was by all accounts a finalist for the oklahoma mm-hmm. job um and probably would have gotten it if venables had turned it down so
0: Two yeah, programs he to that be kind of the, the are number on, two in that search.
1: Yeah, super similar kind of points right now for, for both Oklahoma and Oregon. So it's, a, it's an interesting time to have this matchup. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, too, just, I mean, regardless of everything that's going on, uh, there's just something about, you know, seeing your program's logo uh, matched up against Oklahoma. And just like Oklahoma is one of those – blue bloods in the sport of college football. So um definitely. You know, yeah. regardless of how they look or or whether they're up or down or they lost their co- coach or whatever, it's kind of like a win versus Oklahoma is a is one of those rare accomplishments um that a team can have kind of um I mean, what you said the all-time record is Oregon has one win all time that happened on a mm-hmm. pretty uh <laughs> Interesting, Question. yeah, <laughs> end to that game. So, uh yeah, I mean, uh, another one is even given the circumstances would be a, a, a something to celebrate.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. um God, I just can't like this matchup is perfect in so many ways. A lot of times we get bowl games where it's like, okay, they're just like the automatic qualifying teams, and you plug them in, and it's whatever. uh I mean, that's even what happened in this game, but just. <laughs> like we're mentioning i mean the fact that both of these teams are at such similar stages and had such similar seasons in so many ways god train try saying that 10 times fast It, it just lines up perfectly like to me this is the you know and obviously i'm biased a little bit but to me this is the best non new year's six bowl matchup and it might even be better than some of the new year's six bowls uh i mean you look at like pitt and michigan state like okay, that, those are both good teams, but the two best players in that game aren't even playing. So that'll be kind of weird. But yeah, I'm super excited for this game, mostly just because it's it's an Oregon football game to watch. Um, I don't really know how much we're going to learn about the next like season, upcoming season to this game. And in that way, it's it's kind of nice to have that. Like, I don't really have to worry about what this means for the future of the program right now we can talk about what it does mean as well but in general i can just actually sit back and enjoy a football game that i want to watch like the stakes are similar for both teams you know
1: yeah exactly i mean i'm I'm treating this almost like a spring game in some ways i mean it has some more stakes than that but it is kind of just uh you know just enjoy oregon football you're not going to get this for for a long time um Again, so, yeah, there's no reason to be too amped up about this matchup, I think. Take it for what it is, Um and we kind of talked about this beforehand, but in in some ways I'm more excited to kind of just see what we get, see what it's like without, you know, with, with McClendon taking over and how that looks different from Cristobal and what guys stepped up, step up with opt-outs and kind of break this thing down and, and look at what we get to see uh, and review it almost more than I am worried about predicting it and worrying about you know what the significance of it could be or stressing out about that stuff exactly
0: yeah and I mean we've seen plenty of opt-outs on both sides especially from Oklahoma and we'll get to some of those a little later Um, but I mean obviously Kayvon not playing in this game yeah on the field it hurts you but in general I think most Oregon fans are just happy to see him hopefully succeed at the next level and, you know, raise his draft stock a little bit uh, by not getting injured in this game. It's also, we have to consider the possibility that this game might not even happen at all, considering the amount of bowl games that have been shut down. I know that's kind of a foreboding and terrible thing to think of, but, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally as we were typing out the rest of these PAC 12 games, like Miami dropped out of their bowl game with Wazoo for due to COVID. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. But um, shall we do a real quick preview of what Oklahoma offers on the field? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So again, in a lot of ways, you'll we'll find some similarities to U of O here, especially in the run game and run defense. Um, they have five point. They average five point two yards per rush. They kind of rely on Kennedy Brooks, who's their main back, famous of course for. Um, scoring the winning touchdown in that texas game which by the way if you missed that for whatever reason go watch the highlights or honestly just a full game replay if you can find it uh i think it's the game of the year overall this season um anyways yeah 5.2 yards per rush it's about the same as oregon uh they're 19th in epa per run again estimated points added per play it's kind of the standard for like advanced stats per play at this point um, they're 19th U of O is sixth each on offense. So should be a pretty balanced thing there. Their run defense is pretty good as well. They land at 19th U of O's, uh, also pretty good at run defense for those who've been watching this season, but I guess it kind of depends on personnel. Like it's funny. I was mentioning this before the pod, like U of O's defense grades out at pretty much the middle of the road in like every single defensive stat, uh, In in EP, when using EPA, so that's just kind of something funny I found. Um, but yeah, we mentioned the the quarterback change, Spencer Rattler is out of the program, there's no shot he plays in this game. He entered the transfer portal and is now at South Carolina, so that's good for him, I guess. Um, or maybe not because he's kind of an asshole from what I understand, but (laughs) anyways. It's again, like the parallels between these two programs, another just popped in like they were their students literally chanted. We want Caleb. We want Caleb during a game. Uh, (laughs) Sound familiar, Oregon fans? Like it's it's kind of crazy. They are a much better passing team than U of O. This is kind of where the rub is here. Uh, And this is why Oklahoma is favored in this game by four and a half points. Um, they average 6.77 total yards per play, so that includes that rel- that worse um, rushing stat, obviously meaning they're around seven or so in pass. Uh, they're 16th in EPA passing in the country, which is really good. U of O's 60th for reference. So that being said, two of their top receivers are um, not really factors in this game. Theo Weiss is Weiss is kind of like, somebody who they expected to be a big producer this season, and he really, he's barely even played. Um, and then J- Jaden Hazelwood is in the transfer portal. He's another one of their leading receivers. So pretty much their biggest um, remaining guy on offense, other than Caleb Williams and Kenny Brooks, is Marvin Mims, their wide receiver. Uh, he's only got 30 catches on the year, but it's for 648 yards, which is over 20 yards per catch. That's pretty crazy. Um, And he's got four touchdowns. He also returns punts for them, uh, but he only averages like five yards per return. That's whatever. Um, What else we got? Here's the other rub in this game. Um, So we know Oklahoma's good at passing the ball, and that Oregon is kind of mid at defending the pass, right? Well, Oklahoma is really good at passing the ball, and Oregon – or I just said that one. We know Oregon is kind of mid at passing the ball as well, Oklahoma has a terrible pass defense, one of the worst in the country, honestly, when you use EPA. Um, and furthermore, they're missing a ton of guys on defense. They had no all-first-team defensive players in the Big 12 this year, but they had five all-second-team uh, Big 12 defensive players. Four of them are not playing in this game, including their leading tackler, linebacker Brian Asamoa. And then three key D linemen are also out, the only remaining guy from that all-second team, is uh, Turner-Yale, their defensive back. So it's going to be interesting, man. Um, for I haven't watched a ton of Oklahoma games this season, and I didn't exactly do film study for this game. But anything else you got <laughs> for Oklahoma on the field?
1: Yeah, I think it's just so funny that, I mean, as we kind of talked about at the top, like Oklahoma is a team that it was already tough to figure out who they were and how good they were throughout the entire season when they had a coach and players uh, (laughs) that were like consistent from game to game. And now uh, they don't, you know, they have a new coach and they have a bunch of players opted out. So we take a team that already was tough to depend on any sort of, you know, consistent production from them and take away all their players um, or a lot of their, their important ones. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the same stuff is kind of going on on the Oregon side too. Um, for people who saw the, the new, uh, organizational chart be released for Oregon, um, a bit earlier this week, a few days ago, but, but, um, you know, with, with Devin Williams out uh, and, and Micah Pittman transferred a while ago, obviously, and all of that. I mean, it's it's a lot of youth Um, on the offensive side at the skill positions. It's it's down to one tight end position, and it's a an or with just two freshmen, Ferguson and Mataval. And then the receivers right now are, are Thornton, Franklin, and Hudson. I mean, those are the starters. And behind them, uh, there's not anyone else who can really play either. Um, yeah. Or, or can make an argument to start. I mean, those guys are going to be out there for a lot of the snaps because their backups are Isaiah Crocker, who we haven't seen much of, but he, he looked uh, good in a few snaps in the Pac-12 title game. And then Brevard, who's a freshman, and then Seven McGee, who's not only a freshman but also hasn't been uh, training exclusively at receiver. Um, so – for all the people talking and, about play the young guys and and those talented receivers, which I'm firmly in that group, those guys are absolutely going to play in this game.
0: Also, I heard uh, Hudson picked up an injury in practice, and it was apparently a pretty bad one. So he might not even play in this game.
1: Oh, I didn't even see that. <laughs> wow, it
0: was it was from like very not that long ago. So
1: okay. Yeah. Um. And um, and on the defensive yeah. side, uh it looks like um Popo Amave wasn't at practice. Jason mm-hmm. Jones announced his transfer to Auburn, so he's officially not in the mix for this thing. Um so up front it's it's <laughs> and out. So. And Kayvon's out. Um so our our defensive line's gonna be a little weird. I mean, is it Keanu Williams who steps into that nose? Is it does Mikhail Afaise, maybe step over, um, or is Popo, you know, did his flight just get delayed and he gets in tomorrow? (laughs) That would be the best situation. (laughs) I don't know exactly what the deal was there. Um, and. i also
0: heard jackson powers johnson was actually taking defensive snaps yes
1: that's the other thing yeah jackson powers johnson switched over to the defensive yeah. and he played that in high school he had some i i tweeted out uh some of his film yeah, from McCampy. He, <laughs> he had some pretty pretty nice pass rush moves um he put a spin move on a guy at a campus uh he, so that would be that would be interesting to see I think it's just people are ready to go out and play um, I think DJ Johnson I saw is also switching over to the offensive side and he's been back and forth a bit um, mm-hmm. so there gonna, were also
0: real quick while you're yeah. still on this side of the ball there were four key defensive starters who were not dressed in practice at the most latest at the latest one today. they're still expected to play though those being Swinson McKinley Dorless and no Sewell so (laughs) we'll see or sorry they were in non-contact jerseys so they weren't they were dressed they were just in non-contact jerseys like a quarterback in practice
1: okay yeah that's so was
0: afaise for what it's worth but
1: that is okay i didn't see that either (laughs) oh my god yeah it's it's gonna be a ragtag group man um i mean uh, probably the we haven't mentioned it but the position group that's i don't know with what's going on d-line this might not be true but another one that stands out is the cornerbacks obviously um Mm -hmm. with Wright opting out and and uh, dj james uh in the portal um it looks like trek bridges and dante manning are going to get the starting job and then we'll we should see a a healthy (laughs) dose of of dickerson and davies as the freshmen um and it's interesting. I think it's worth noting, though, that you know these are all guys who are pretty highly rated. Like um, I kind of expect them to, to turn some heads. I mean, they'll be growing pains, pains as they are at corner, but um, you know, it's not like uh, there's just a insane drop in talent. Uh, after mikhail and dj james where we don't have anyone else who who was recruited to be a starting corner um, these guys are young and can use experience but they all you know were recruited and and expected to be uh impact you know likely starting level players at some point in their career so uh i think varone said this in a in an interview but you know the go time is now for those guys it's it's time to step up, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, this is just a fun game, you know. Like it's it's the Alamo Bowl, like we said. It would be nice to win it, definitely. Um, and you want to go out there and try, but it's also like you know, just just enjoy the end of the season, have fun, get reps for all these guys, and um, mm-hmm. it's not like this is a a Rose Bowl that you know is going to be one of the five biggest trophies in your program's trophy case or something. Um the stakes aren't that yeah. high ultimately.
0: Yeah. Um and again, I've been perusing some Oklahoma message boards and the mental their mentality about this game is pretty similar. Uh a lot of fans are just pissed more pissed about opt-outs than Oregon fans are, but again, they've kind of been on this trajectory more so than Oregon has for some of the season at least. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Um Either way, I think two things worth mentioning when you talk about corners with Bridges and Manning. Um, yeah, they're freshmen, technically, but these are guys who have been in the program for multiple years. I right. believe this is Triquez's third season as a Duck. Yeah. So with the COVID year and then him redshirting in 2019, this is, uh, yeah, his third year on campus. And then yep. Manning, it's his second Um I'm not saying I'm not giving that as an excuse for like you know or a reason as to oh they should play better but it's just something to note um yeah no I mean it's
1: it's here? funny like you know just based on how often you see a guy you and it makes sense because on field experience ultimately determines a lot but I mean Triquaz was in the same class as as DJ James and McHale right and uh yeah yeah and Kayvon I think so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. It's just odd, man. Um, as the COVID year through a wrench in this whole thing. And now it's, it's hard to even keep track of this stuff. Right. Uh, without having some sort of chart in front of you. Um, I do have a chart in front of me though, by chance, and I believe <laughs> only four guys who started last year, um, who like started on defense last year will be starting in this game, which is pretty nuts to think about. Um, also on offense only four guys who started consistently last year are starting in this game and they're all on offensive line so and i i mean Steven jones actually i want to say i don't know i guess he was more of a rotation guy last year but anyways we'll see what happens man um the only personnel decision i really have an opinion about in this game is that ty thompson should be starting in it um yeah i i really don't see a reason to start anthony brown in this game at all like the guy's gone after this year and like we've been mentioning it's who really has a stake in this game right now like even if you think he's the best quarterback like there's still not a ton of glowing or glaring reasons to be playing him at all in this game
1: Um, yeah yeah it looks like he definitely is gonna start um but yeah <laughs> we'll see you know maybe you get some you give ty Thompson a drive here or jay butterfield a drive there I don't know I don't know how they feel about it I get it I mean i i totally i i mean I, I agree with it uh that ty should be starting um but coaches kind of think a different way sometimes and that you know there are guys here who it's their last game as a duck maybe and you want to respect that and not just turn it into a, a scrimmage and there are people who want to finish off the season well. And, hey, I mean, it is 11 win seasons. Uh, I forget how many of them there are in Oregon history, but it's a very short list, you know, five or six maybe. Um,
0: That's true. So, That's a good point, actually. Like, yeah. this, is a, this is a type of game that, on paper, can make you look back and look at the season a lot more fondly. Yeah. Um, I mean, otherwise, it's kind of like, Alright, yeah, that team, like, they beat Ohio State, but they didn't you know, they fell apart after that. Instead it could be like, oh, this team beat Ohio State and then injuries kind of wrecked their season and then like they had their coach leave and they still won the Alamo Bowl against a decent team. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that gives you some help there, but real quick, I did pull it up and there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 11 or more win seasons in Oregon history there you go so yeah who knows <laughs> um all right man anything else you want to talk about on the field in this game
1: uh no I think we can just kind of move to breaking down the you know give predictions and the spread um and, and I can hop into that yeah so Oklahoma is favored by four and a half um over under 60 and a half um so I, we actually wrote this one ahead of time so no on-air math um <laughs> that projected line of of like 32 and a half to 28 oklahoma wins um what's kind of interesting i don't know what any of that's based on i feel like they kind of threw just a dart at the dartboard and said like okay for oklahoma four and a half let's let's see it you know like there's so many opt-outs i'm sure there's a real model behind it but i think this game's super tough to predict um i wouldn't Mm -hmm. be shocked by any outcome uh not only because the talent's different but also like who's showing up to play which team is more cares more all that stuff is i don't know a factor yeah
0: like i could see a close win either way or a blowout either way to be honest
1: yeah (laughs) really i i think um Yeah. It's, it's so weird. Uh, I mean, hopefully one thing I think is, is you talk about their past defense being weak, um, and Oregon having a lot of young receivers. Uh, unfortunately, as you said, it looks like Anthony Brown's going to start. Um, yeah, hopefully Oregon can pass the ball around, uh, and, and spread it to those wide receivers and really just have a, have a exciting offense out there, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, that would be nice to see. Uh, <laughs> again, I I have no expectations for this game. <laughs> I'm just here to be entertained and to win. Um, the coaching upheaval is also something you, you wrote down here. I don't know if you mentioned it while our call cut out, but uh, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Like, Or maybe not even keep an eye on, but just keep in the back of your head during this game. Like, It's it's not even worth like keeping track of which coaches are in or out For this game but there's a lot on both sides to say the least again bob stoops will be their interim brian mcclendon will be ours we don't even know if mcclendon's going to be coaching here next season uh and quite honestly he probably won't be if we're being real so whatever like you have down here i mean just build some momentum into the next year i guess but overall this will probably be one of the least consequential bowls we'll ever see out of Oregon I mean even at a bottom tier bowl you're like fighting for something at the end of the year this season it just seems like I got a lot of guys want to be over with it and that's totally understandable as a fan or as a player quite frankly
1: official prediction um shoot yeah I wrote this in the doc but I I kind of did it with absolutely no clue what I would predict (laughs) um I'll say, I'll say, you know, let's give Oregon a win here, thirty-five to to thirty-one.
0: I like it, I like it.
1: <laughs> That's I'm how gonna, Oregon tries to win a lot of games this year. So sure.
0: I'm gonna balance it out with some pessimism. Then <laughs> I'm gonna say, Oklahoma forty-two, Oregon twenty-eight. like 31 how about that last second camden field goal uh very fair
1: very fair yeah it probably is a more likely prediction honestly but
0: (laughs) again though i i seriously don't know what a likely outcome is in this game Um, yeah
1: i'm not i'm not taking my prediction uh responsibilities quite as serious i would say given (laughs) just the nature of this game so don't come don't come mad at me on twitter if we're gonna lose (laughs) this or um, forgan wins. Yeah, right. Um All right, you want to move into some of the more news on coaching hires we've had uh in the past few days.
0: Let's do that and let's do some Pac-12 bull picks. Yeah. Let's I <laughs> This is your time to shine, man. You got all these notes here.
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um Yeah, okay. So the first big one that that uh it's not official yet, but that's been heavily rumored is is Adrian Clem. Uh, as an offensive line coach, Um is a huge name, right? So he's a guy for people who don't know his background. Kind of um, one, he's an NFL player, um, so that's a it's <laughs> a pretty big difference from what we had with Mirrorball, right? Uh, I mean, Clem really looks like a he could suit up and play offensive line right now, and and Mirabal obviously did not. Um, but yeah, so so Clem, former NFL player, then he uh, takes up his coaching career, starts at at SMU, and then, Oregon fans may remember him um, possibly from from being picked up on that Jim Morris staff at UCLA, where he's fr- where he's at from 2012 to 2016, um, and uh, he kind of gets a reputation there as an elite recruiter. Uh, but someone who kind of underachieved in terms of development. Um, and and honestly, for me, that's why this hire is one of the ones I'm more skeptical of. Uh, I think it's really flashy, but I think that it's a bit troubling that he just doesn't have the best record of development. Um, now, the counterpoint to that is going to be what he did after the UCLA job. So. Things kind of there's there's a weird investigation into him and Mora uh, uh, about dealing with player injuries um, that is end up end up ends up being resolved, uh, and he doesn't Clem doesn't face any punishment for that, um, but in that time he takes a break away from the NCAA and goes to the NFL um, and kind of works, uh, works as an assistant O-line coach there for the Steelers and finally gets the job this year, um, for the Steelers. So, I mean, in that regard, I think that, uh, some of the criticism of him as a guy who just recruits and can't develop at all, uh, is, you know, obviously, uh, can be you know questioned by the fact that mike tomlin hired him to coach the offensive line uh in a you know <laughs> the nfl where he can't recruit at all where that can't kind of buoy his resume at all so i he must know some things he must have been able to fix to you know trick tomlin into hiring him uh and that's a pretty good <laughs> nfl head coach right so Um, I don't think that it's all doom and gloom. I think that this hire definitely can work out. You just hope that he's grown a bit since his time at UCLA. Um, but the nice news is that, hey, I mean, it's a guy who regardless is going to recruit well up front for you. Uh, he's also shown the ability as a recruiter to kind of go outside of the offensive line and help out in some other areas too. So, um... I'm optimistic about it overall. Uh, I think that it's not the worst thing to take a, take a chance on a guy who's going to recruit really well, uh, who has an NFL background too, uh, which will only help him on the recruiting trail and as a coach. Um, And then, you know, worst comes to worst, your offensive line isn't what you want it to be. Uh, You, you know, in two or three years, you sack him and you go, you know hire a new guy and and that room still stocked with talent so um yeah that hire was fine uh, do you have anything else you want to add on it or
0: i just want to ask a little bit about it i mean i i'm not exactly uh tuned into the o line coaching scene but i mean you say he's a big name like is this i mean i, I obviously you approve of this hire like do you think this kind of fits the mold of Oregon coaches or, or or recent organ coaching hires being like as you know as good as they can get really
1: yeah i think um well i I say he's a big name because he's a guy with the nfl background with extensive experience coaching on the west coast at ucla so he's got serious ties there and mm-hmm. now he's an nfl dude so I think it's a good I think it's a promising hire I I mean honestly I think um the development stuff for me I just am a little it's a bit of an adjustment coming from that being like a strong suit of what mirrorball did um mm-hmm. but a lot of people are a lot higher on this higher than I am um <laughs> interesting higher on the higher um <laughs> <laughs> uh but more positive about it just because his, his resume is really strong. Um, but just some things I've heard from the UCLA fans. I know um, a lot of whose opinion uh, Carlos uh, specifically should, <laughs> should be taken with a grain of salt given their anti Oregon sentiments. But, um, but look, I think it's, I think it's not something to worry about uh, really. It's, it's a move that prioritizes recruiting uh, and, bets on a guy making improvements as a coach uh given his time under one of the best head coaches in the nfl and mike tomlin and mike tomlin's proven faith in him um yeah i think we can every hire is a
0: leap of faith to some extent too right
1: like right um yeah so um the next one
0: to to yodi yeah
1: yes yes uh D line coach Tony Tuioti, uh, Toyota is it? T- I wrote O in here. Is it an I?
0: Um, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, an I.
1: What? Regardless, Tony T. I have a feeling is probably what we're going to be calling him. <laughs> um, but this is honestly the hire that I feel most. Um, it's like the least splashy, but I feel just really solid about it. Um, I think that it's. It's just he's got a really high floor um he's has a great reputation during his time at Nebraska um, was just a a really strong developed developer there and despite um despite being you know not in not having like the elite list of commits on two four seven it's you have to realize he's a guy who's at Nebraska right so I mean it's it's a little harder to recruit there um as scott frost has learned um so you know i think i mean people's immediate mind go to like how does he compare to a guy like coach joe salvea i think it's uh i think that's his floor probably and i think you hope that he's going to be a better recruiter than that even um and he's going to be aided hopefully by tosh joining the staff too Mm -hmm. um so I think that just puts you in a really good spot. Um, I like it. I don't I don't have any complaints here. I think it's a solid, you know, B-plus hire probably. It's not, again, the splashiest thing you could have done, but I feel pretty confident that it's it's going to go well.
0: Yeah, I was doing a little bit of research. This is the one I know the most about. I was looking at either – not either. Both some Nebraska message boards and, like, just some local coverage of the hire – um, and it seems like he did a really, really solid job there. Uh, again, I'm not super in tune with like the D line coaching scene in college football because that takes an extent of knowledge I don't have time for, but a lot of times I mentioned this with Dillingham and other stuff, like you can define how good a hire is like at its outset by the reaction of the fan base where you're hiring it from. A lot of Nebraska fans were not too happy that this guy was gone. Um, so that's typically a good sign for Oregon
1: yep absolutely that's um, and that's really uh, kind of ditto for um, for this next guy on the list um, Demetrius Martin uh, the new cornerbacks coach for Oregon um, so the easiest way I can explain this one to people um, is he's almost like an older version of Dante Williams um, he's a guy with <laughs> deep connections uh within you know uh the west coast in los angeles specifically so he's born in los angeles uh he plays defensive back at at uh or he coaches at pasadena city college after going to play at michigan state um and then he's a graduate assistant at usc He coaches at Washington from 2009 to 2011. And then Mora takes him on the UCLA staff, similar to Clem from 2012 to 2017. Uh, And he's a great recruiter there. Then he bounces to Arizona. Then he goes to Colorado. And now he's getting his shot at Oregon. Um, So, yeah, it's just a guy who's kind of climbed exclusively on the West Coast. I mean, he has ties. This is going to be his sixth stop man, within the pac 12 as a coach
0: literally half of the pack 12
1: <laughs> yeah um so that's 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 a good thing right um it's tough to spend that in a negative direction um i think that uh there's a ton of positive super positive uh response to him as a hire from from julio florence notably a big big target um but as well as a bunch of other you know uh big names in the 2023 class uh just kind of showing respect uh for the hire and being excited about it um so i i like this one a lot um again this is a this is one of the other ones where there's a little bit of question about how he is as a coach versus a recruiter um and as we know there is with Dante Williams, right? Uh, the big thing that everyone talks about uh, is that his his players don't really turn their head uh, to locate the ball, and, and that means that they draw a lot of pass interference calls. And, you know, it is what it is. I think that um, some people that you've that talk about that, uh, a guy like David Woods, who covers UCLA, says, you know, he thinks mm-hmm. that, that his coaching ability or lack thereof is a bit overblown um and that you know in my mind i think past interferences are are one of those things that's kind of like one of the more visible signs that fans can point to and be like oh you know his guys get a pass interference calls that means he sucks as a coach right um (laughs) and uh i think that he's he's a pretty solid coach and and Regards. Certainly, it's one that's a upside because of his recruiting acumen, um, but uh, he's a solid coach as well in my mind, and, and so I, I like the hire. I like how connected it is, um, and it's a get for sure. I mean, talk about he was he rose to the ranks all throughout the West Coast, and um, I think it's import, important to note too, uh, I think one of the big things about Oregon that's been a theme both with head coaches and assistants is a lot of their best time uh, in their careers, their most success has come at Oregon. Uh, It's a place that's, you know, risen over the past 20 years because people are pulling in the same direction at Oregon. Um, And there's just a positive culture there and a positive brand to go get good players and, you know, coach them well. Um, So there's, you know reason to believe that a lot of these guys are are going to be put in a position for success more so than they were at past stops.
0: yeah man only thing i got to add to that is that he has the best nickname on the team player or coach now um being coach meat which is just great and uh the other thing is like i don't know when i first heard of this you know the first things you look at at a hire are like okay where are they coming from and like how did they do oh we came from colorado really like we're getting colorado's dp coach to come and coach here like colorado's defense was great this year it's their offense that really held that team back um right and specifically their past defense is what kept them in games pretty much throughout this year um so yeah that's all i got you've yeah. convinced me i like it
1: <laughs> um so yeah big picture where's oregon at right now in terms of coaching i still need a running back and a wide receiver coach um i'll plug uh one of our longtime listeners uh big love kev uh the man on over on the scoop duck boards put together an extensive list of of dan lanning's uh follows on twitter who are wide receiver and running back coaches and in the fbs so it will be interesting to see uh you can go look at that list over on scoop duck somewhere down the first page probably now um to if you want to look at some of those potential names you know and and then um don't know what's going to happen with the tight ends coach right uh bobby Mm -hmm. williams kind of handled that in conjunction with special teams and that's just kind of like a random thing that happened right um Sometimes you'll see someone who has a position group go over to, to special teams, but it doesn't necessarily mean that our special teams coach will coach tight ends like, like Bobby did. Um, and then you really just
0: need somebody who knows football at that position,
1: right? And Oregon has a few. Uh, Powellage is has experience coaching special teams at, um, at, uh, Baylor. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, Joe uh, Lorig is a guy who's been kind of rumored maybe for the linebacker gig uh, to go along with Tosh, maybe coaching outside, and Lorig coaches inside or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see how those shake out. I'm not going to go too in-depth until those are, hires are official, right? Um, yeah. But it's been a really good staff so far. Um, one thing I just want to you know addressing get your thoughts on or kind of i went back and forth on twitter with a few people uh and just the reactions from uh whether it's huskies or other pac 12 people <laughs> uh especially carlos again um equity Brune on twitter for those who don't know who that is living
0: rent free in our heads by the way
1: <laughs> <laughs> um just kind of saying like uh organs this the same thing oregon did under all they Are just assembling a staff of recruiting coordinators uh, who can't coach or are (laughs) mediocre to bad at coaching. What's your response to that?
0: Uh, I think, if anything, that's just a reaction of Carlos being in LA and still his program still not being able to recruit that being UCLA. Because I don't know if he's been watching the last couple of years, but well, I do know Um, talent gets you pretty damn far in the Pac 12. Uh, if you can get elite yep. talent to your school, you're pretty much set to be at least in contention for the Pac-12 title, if not winning it. So even with some some god awful on-field coaching at times, uh, so I'm really not all that concerned about it. Like I feel like it's a lot easier to become better as uh, an actual coach, like like coaching players, than it is. You know, well, sorry. Let me rephrase that. It's easier to become a better on-field coach in a good locker room than it is to be a recruiter. Like recruiting is kind of like, do you know how to do this or not, uh, to some extent. Whereas coaching, it's a much different relationship with players. So, also it's worth mentioning that Mario's staff wasn't really around all that long. And when you develop these long-term relationships with players, it makes it that much easier to coach them over a period of time. So. I'm not too concerned about it. Um, As you mentioned, with a lot of these guys, like uh, with the O-line guy, especially whose name has already escaped me, Clem, like they on paper, sure, maybe they're like better recruiters and they are on field coaches. That doesn't mean they're bad at on field coaching. I mean, the guy had a job in the NFL where, as you mentioned, there is no recruiting. You can only coach. So I'm I'm it's really a non-starter for me like I'm just not that concerned about it it's something to keep in the back of the head but not something that should drive a narrative whatsoever
1: right yeah yeah exactly um I think I think that people just kind of latch on to a name here or there they hear oh Clem wasn't that good at developing a line at uh UCLA and they just try to extrapolate that to everyone uh and I think that overall this this coach staff's pretty balanced um you have a guy in Lanning who's got a, you know, super strong resume as a coach. Uh, Powledge is a good mind for sure. Uh, Tony T, that's a strong developmental hire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, Dillingham's obviously a question mark, right, at OC. And and that's a little scary because we all talked about instantly, you know, leading up to this hire and in the immediate aftermath of it, like, you get a big-time defensive head coach, you know, what's the biggest thing to get now as an offensive coordinator? Mm -hmm. And, um, we just went with a guy who's a question mark there. Right. And of course the classic line question mark doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Right. So Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have to see how that works out. Um, it certainly says a lot about Lanning's confidence in him that, that he, that was one of the first calls that he made. Um, and so, Yeah. I think that's, that colors it. Um, but other than that, you know, there's, there's a lot of strong coaches here, uh, and it's certainly, you know, recruiting's a necessity, but I would say if you're not making being a good recruiter a necessity to get an assistant job at your program, you're probably not doing it right. So, Mm uh, I feel really good about the staff that, that landings assembled so far overall.
0: Yeah. I feel optimistic about it. I mean, there's no red flags, which is always good. Um, yeah, at least so far again for some people red flag means different things than others but um i don't know john donovan is a great example of a red flag like nobody should be happy about hiring john donovan leave it to some huskies to feel that way but um it's the type of hire where like a national writer will look at that and be like oh my god they hired john donovan (laughs) like why did you think that would work again there's no hires like that on the staff so far so i'm feeling pretty good about it uh again i'm not super tuned into that whole scene but it's something i'm working
1: on yeah consistently
0: i mean and yeah
1: i think that's like just uh, of course all the husky fans <laughs> are trying to like make a comparison to jimmy lake now that they admit that he was bad even though they argued he was a <laughs> great hire for two years um but yeah i mean that's a huge point like uh we all knew jimmy lake was a horrible hire when john donovan was hired uh that was the moment when it's just like wow this guy has no clue what he's doing and Mm -hmm. uh all the stuff landing's done so far makes a lot of sense um even the ones that are, are a little skeptical are, are splashy irs that are going to be able to recruit well and and have have been signed off on by a lot of other really good coaches um so yeah yeah
0: yep um all right i think that's all we got for oregon stuff should we move on to the the pack 12 bowl slate yeah or what's let's left do it. of it i guess let's do it uh, so there were, at one point in time, five Pac-12 Bowl games to talk about. One of them has already happened, the L.A. Bowl. One of them, as we mentioned, got canceled literally right before we started recording this. Um, that being Miami and well, Wazoo.
1: It's worth saying it's not technically... Um, Miami is out of it, but but I think True. Wazoo is still looking for a potential opponent. We'll see if that comes together, right? But
0: yeah, And, I mean, like thinking about other recent developments uh from the last few days like there have been t- a ton of cancellations I feel like you'd be able to find at least one team who's willing to pony up and face the mighty Washington State Cougars in the Sun Bowl um so we'll see what happens there but I don't know maybe they're just scared um so the LA Bowl Utah State beats Oregon State 24 to 13 how much what percentage of this game did you watch read and did you learn anything from it
1: um i watched i i actually didn't get to watch that much because that was right in the middle of my final stuff um yeah i was cranking out i was probably on page about 8 of 15 on my final paper (laughs) Um, very nice to be done with that um yeah so i didn't get to watch as much as i want i tuned into the final uh you know most of the second half um but Oh, my God! From what I saw in the highlights, I looked afterwards just a lethargic horrible performance from Oregon State. I mean, just like that team away from Corvallis is just ridiculously uh bad compared to them being actually like probably a top twenty five team when they are at Corvallis, so I don't know, man,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think watched like probably sixty percent of it, it was one of the grossest
1: games ever. For me it was such a hit because I mean just in and of itself like Oregon State losing to an uh at the time 10 and 3 I guess uh Utah State team was not like the worst thing in the world. I mean Utah State hasn't been a horrible team uh this year. Um but it's kind of adds insult to in- injury that uh the Pac-12 doesn't really have another game that it's favored to win uh, i mean it literally does not uh, now yeah. <laughs> especially after the washington state game was going to be a pick them and uh, now that's off the slate so i mean like uh, yeah
0: weren't the beavers by like a touchdown in this game yeah i think they were favored by yeah and they're just it a no show i mean they came out with their heads on fire well like, yeah their first right. offensive drive i watched it and i think they scored in three plays to start yeah. the game like, oh, sweet, they're going to run all over Utah State. This will be a nice shootout, like a lot of points and everything. Utah State's, like, third-string quarterback comes in, and the first throw he's made all season is a touchdown is a bomb over the top for a touchdown. Um, shout-out to Catan Oladapo, though, former classmate of mine at uh, high school. He had an interception in that game for the Beavers, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, man, that was that was embarrassing. And like you said, in pretty much the one bowl game where the Pac-12 Pac-12 fans really felt like, yeah, we gotta we could put some money on this one.
1: Yeah, um, I think you kind of you go into this slate and it was like, okay, you know, Oregon State, let's go. Let's they're gonna take care of business early, and then you you hope that you squeeze out, you know, maybe two of the other uh five that were on the board um Mm -hmm. that were kind of close that would have been successful probably but now you lose that one and and now it's you're looking at a lot of upsets that you're hoping go your way
0: yeah yeah it's pretty tough i did enjoy like just watching it though even though it was a tough game to watch like everything around it i usually don't go for all that like corporate bs that gets thrown around but the jimmy camel bit was pretty funny actually (laughs) with the barfing or whatever that mascot is hilarious and i'm not a big like jimmy kimmel guy or anything i haven't watched jimmy kimmel since i was like 13 probably but um i don't know it was fun you know i i want to say was it the first like power five team that was in bowl season oregon state maybe not i'm not sure but Mm, i have no idea anyways it was it was nice um And I guess it's always kind of a win-win when you watch the Beavers play, right? Because, like, worst-case scenario, or maybe it's not the worst-case scenario, either they're representing the Pac-12 well or it's Oregon State losing. So there's really not too many bad options. All right, let's let's move on. I'm done with the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. Unless, Unless. No,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Okay. Holiday
0: Bowl. This one is on. God, what day is this on? i don't know i'll find it but either way it's ucla playing nc state Wolfpack are two point favorites in this game could be one and a half depending on where you get it i think it opened at two and a half and now it's down to one and a half so a little bit of love going the bruins way but uh read why i mean this game is in la right or la area why is ucla not favored in this game
1: well probably because nc state's uh ranked and probably had a better season. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> obvious answer, right? It's uh, like a solid reason. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that that's necessarily NC state had a good season. Um, but so did UCLA at times. I think we'll see. We'll see. It's, it makes sense that it's a close game, right? I mean, NC state played wake force really close. Um, which was good. Uh, in this year, it sounds funny. If you haven't been paying attention this year, Wake Forest turned out to be good. Um, yeah, yeah. They're two pretty good teams. This will be a fun game to watch for sure. It's on Tuesday the 28th, by the way. Um,
0: yeah, at five.
1: Yeah. yeah um, so, yeah, NC State minus two. Uh, for my pick, I think I'm going to go... Uh, i'll go ucla i'll go ucla i'll go with some dtr magic i definitely am all admittedly heavily biased in all these picks because i do want the (laughs) pac-12 to do well
0: me too um yeah sure i'll pick ucla i don't care uh watch them lose by one i'll still cover
1: right i'll take it well actually Uh, i won't i'd like a win
0: (laughs) yeah of course the las vegas bowl i can't ever remember the las vegas bowl being this late in the season uh, it's wisconsin versus arizona state by the way um this one is is thursday at seven thirty p.m wow late one uh wisconsin is a touchdown favorite or like six points um again didn't the las vegas bowl used to be like what the la bowl is now or at least back when we played in it it was used
1: to be earlier you're yeah. saying yeah, I think, yeah, it, I think it
0: used to be like Mountain West champ versus some Pac-12 team. Anyways, um, I'm excited for this one. It's it's going to be two decent football teams playing each other, much like the UCLA game. Uh, and that's all you can really ask for in bowl season, right?
1: Yep, true. Um, I think that, uh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about, it's kind of weird because Wisconsin, you think of as like super conservative, right? Um mm-hmm. kind of just pounding it, whereas Arizona State's been super boomer bust this year. Um, so that'll be interesting. Like if if Arizona State is able to turn this into some sort of a track meet um and and light up the scoreboard a bit, uh will Wisconsin be able to catch up with that or keep up with that? Probably not. Uh but I kind of tend to think that it won't get that far. And that Wisconsin just actually is has proven to be a pretty uh, good team for a lot of this year. I don't know. They've been up and down, I guess. But big wins over Iowa and Purdue uh, late in the season. They kind of turned a the corner there for a bit. Um, dropped one to Minnesota, obviously, at the end. But I think uh, I think I'll probably lean Wisconsin on this one, even with the six points
0: yeah I don't think I mean the fact Arizona State wasn't able to run through a lot of this Pac-12 slate with Jaden Daniels doesn't give me a lot of confidence that Jaden Daniels will be able to do a whole lot against a truly elite defense in Wisconsin
1: exactly yeah is uh, I think am leaning Wisconsin but Rashad I, White might be uh opting out the, the running back for Arizona State I feel like I saw that but
0: yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I feel like I do remember that. Yeah, I'm sure Wisconsin has some opt outs too do I don't know. I'll go with Arizona State. Although I've well, no, actually I'm just trying to picture myself like watching this game. I just yeah, it's hard to see Arizona State's name having more points. I I I'll go with you. I gotta take Wisconsin. I haven't even been writing these down either. It's so inconsequential. Whatever. <laughs> Um, um, You want to move on?
1: Yeah, well, shoot. So after that, it's the Miami-Wazoo game that, that uh, Miami just dropped out of. Um. So yeah. that brings us to, and obviously we skipped over the Oregon game that we covered early. That happens right in between the Holiday and Vegas Bulls. So then uh, we get to the final final game of the Pac-12 season, uh, and that will be Ohio State versus Utah. Um, obviously, an interesting game for Oregon fans because you know you take Oregon's best game of the season and their two worst games of the season, uh, and you match the opponent in those respective games against each other. Um. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Ohio State's favored by six and a half. Uh, this is Utah's total Super Bowl. Uh, they don't really have national championship aspirations in Utah, right? So, like, (laughs) this is, (laughs) yes. Um, But this is it, you know? Like, winning a Rose Bowl is the thing. Uh, So, New Year's Day, 2 o'clock game um, versus Ohio State. It's going to be interesting, the kind of difference there. I mean, Ohio State's one of those programs where – a Rose bowl is like legitimately a disappointment for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I forget. I, I haven't been paying too much attention to what the opt out scene looks like for this one for Ohio state. Uh, it seems like Utah's full go into it. And actually a, a good portion of their team is announced that they're trying to come back for next year as well,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: kind of a scary thought. Um, well, except Britain Covey. Thank God. right? Yeah. Get him out of here. How are you feeling about this game, though? What what do you see here?
0: Oh, it's... This is the most tempting six-and-a-half-point spread of all time. Um, If Ohio State plays anything like who we know they are and who they've been throughout the season, even against Oregon, they they should cover this spread. Um, Utah just doesn't have the bodies to keep up with Ohio State at their best. But... I like the point. I, I don't think Utah loses and covers. I'll say that. I think Utah's either winning this game or getting blown out, so to speak. Or it's like not a close game. Uh I I can't pick against Ohio. It's gotta be Ohio State. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think
0: uh Ohio oh. State spread, maybe some Utah money line in there.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, it's tough, you know. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Uh, <laughs> I want, I really, I want Utah to win this game for the conference. Uh, mm-hmm. It might look, I don't know who it looks better for Oregon. I think it probably looks. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's better for Oregon either way. Uh, it's probably better for Oregon next season if 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 Utah wins though. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I th- I know Utah cares about this game a lot more than Ohio State, right? But I also think that in their sleep, if things click, Ohio State can put up fifty probably, uh, and just have fun and not worry about it. Yeah. Um, I think I'm I'm gonna go with Utah. Okay, sweet. Um,
0: weird shit happens in the Rose Bowl, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just think they, I think they care so much about it, and I was just impressed by what they've done in the two Oregon games and the Arizona State game when they've been kind of put in those positions where it's like, what are you going to do, Utah? How good are you? You know, this is a huge game for your program, and they've like the that group has been special in those games. So, Mm -hmm. why not? Not much logic behind it, but I'll go. I'll go with Utah for my final pick of the Pac-12 slate
0: nice nice yeah we need some differentiation on this last one so i can at least claim a moral victory um i haven't looked at we forgot to ever wrap up our championship week picks but i don't think anyone really cares and i don't have the scores in front of me so i'm not really going to worry about that um
1: yeah yeah fair enough
0: yeah jesus we both picked iowa to cover though against michigan so that's pretty bad uh yeah i think i think that's pretty much it i mean i don't really think we need to do playoff talk here it's not really the time or place for it um overall let's just kind of wrap this thing up like what are we looking forward to in the next few days maybe running back wide receiver linebacker coaches maybe a tight ends coach
1: yeah um yeah you get the coach coaching hires going more you're gonna get you know we're gonna watch this game you're gonna just if if i'm a you know, just giving advice to Oregon fans. I think you just wait around and see what happens with those hires. You enjoy, you know, this Alma Bowl and, and the playoffs coming up through through that time. And then, uh, you know, early, mid-January is when recruiting is going to pick back up. Some of these guys like Clem and maybe Tosh um, are going to get officially cleared from their time in the NFL uh, and going to be able to hop back you know officially join the staff and and get on the trail right so and same with lanning will depending how long georgia season goes uh what that national title game's on like the i want to say the 8th maybe something like that whatever that monday is
0: 8th 10th i'm not sure
1: um and so uh oh it's the 10th i think it'll be 10th yeah yeah monday um so you know that i think that week after after that monday is going to be when the staff really starts rolling i mean they'll be in place but they're going to get out on the trail and and uh starting with the push towards a you know towards february signing period and then building in towards 2023 uh class and and the spring practice and all that stuff's gonna the landing area era is gonna really kick off then i think it's kind of on pause for these next 14 days where well he's going to be pretty dialed in at georgia and some of these other coaches are finishing up their responsibilities so yeah Mm -hmm.
0: well needless to say we will record something if anything important happens um and obviously our our alamo bowl recap episode should be up before the end of this week it's kind of crazy to think about that we're only three days out as of recording uh from this game full season always sneaks up on you like that All right, Reed. Great talking to you, man. And uh, go Ducks.
1: Go Ducks.